Why don't we move on to what is happening elsewhere in the world at the moment? Celeste Katzmarston is our U.S. correspondent. Celeste is with us again. Celeste, good morning or good evening, good afternoon to you. Good morning. All right. Do you reckon democracy is under threat? We've heard about this really since before Donald Trump was elected and it's really ramped up um, you know, during the Trump presidency and then especially post the Trump presidency. What is what's a good working definition? Do you think of democracy? That's a that's a big question, but a super super important one. I think it's it it has a lot to do with sort of the kinds of things that you see in the Declaration of Independence, for example, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, uh, without some sort of uh, authoritarian pressure or or control of of those peaceful activities, um, having people have uh, a fair and equal uh, and reliable chance to vote in their elections and choose their own representatives. Um, I, I think that those are sort of general tenets of, of a healthy democracy. And there are lots of measures of that, you know, groups like Freedom House or, um, you know, Committee to Protect Reporters and so on. Um, those kinds of places have very specific definitions. So in a new poll by uh, Quinnipiac, which is one of the most uh, respected poll uh, polling companies in the US, um, they asked respondents about Trump and Biden squaring off again at the election like they did last time, and they talked about 10 issues and asked them to choose which they viewed as the most important. And the biggest, or the one that got the biggest response, I think, was preserving democracy. Now, that's probably good news for Joe Biden, you would think, because people, well, maybe people who think democracy can be um, preserved by voting for Donald Trump, that's quite possible. But uh, what do they mean, again, when they talk about democracy? Well, that's that's the thing. When you ask somebody generally, do you think democracy is under threat? People will have different definitions of that, and those will be sort of tailored to what's important to them. Like, is democracy the right to um, support and pass laws that limit uh, access to abortion, for example? Is the preservation of, of what they define as the start of human life uh, part of a healthy democracy? That may be the definition. For other people, it may be uh, free and fair elections. For other people, it may be being able to say whatever you want on social media, you know, sort of. Um, but I think if we think of it sort of as the, you know, the bedrock of our democratic system, that being um, the uh, maintenance of free and fair elections, that would be kind of what comes to mind for me. But as you say, everybody might define it differently. Okay, so free and fair elections, that's one thing. If you are constantly saying that those elections are not free and fair, you are exercising free speech, but people would like at some point to get some evidence of that and when it comes to uh, claims that the last election was rigged or was somehow fraudulent, uh, there have been many, many court cases about it, and not one of them uh, has, uh, you know, turned up in the favour of uh, of Donald Trump. And then, of course, a peaceful transition of power is, you know, that's an also a very important part of uh, democracy, and that didn't happen at the last election, after the last election, did it? So, in that regard. Can the U.S. still be called a democracy? 
Oh, I think that we certainly can be still called a democracy. And we did, in the end, have a peaceful transition of power. We had uh, basically a riot or an insurrection at the Capitol. No, no question about that. I mean, obviously, very, very scary and bad. But we did end up having... Um, and to be fair, part of that was through the actions of the vice president at the time, Mike Pence, who would not uh, succumb to pressure to alter that process, didn't uh, didn't think he had the authority to do that, even though he was basically being ordered directly by the commander in chief to to go another way. But, um, you're, you know, again, you're right that um, if people think that democracy is under threat, is that because they think that. Uh, China or Russia is, or the Democrats for that matter, they might lump some or all of those groups in together, is fixing elections or that malign uh, election workers are are stuffing ballot boxes or, or uh, some evil empire technology company is flipping votes on uh, electronic ballot scanners. Um, we don't have evidence that those things are, are widespread systemic problems. We just there is no evidence to that effect. Mm. And as you say, the courts have found the same thing. But yeah, everyone is going to define it differently. And young yeah. people and old people, at least in this Quinnipiac poll, had different views of whether a threat exists. Those on the Democratic side would say democracy is under threat from Donald Trump because he didn't accept the rule of law. He didn't accept the uh, result of the last election. Those on the Republican side, or some of them, would say, well, hang on, democracy is under threat because our candidate is constantly being dragged through court on all sorts of charges. Now, have been found guilty on most of those charges that have gone uh, finally, but they would say, well, hang on, that is undemocratic. Uh, you know, you're, you're putting our candidate on trial all the time. Well, right. I mean, if they would perceive the threat or a threat to democracy being what they consider a political persecution or prosecution of uh, the former president. So, yeah, I mean, and of course, it, it is in a in a free country, you can say that you can think that, but you would hope that people would also look at all the evidence and, um, you know, uncolored by political biases or conspiracy theories and come to the understanding that you know, everyone gets their day in court. People face charges and they should be able to uh, to have a result come out of that based on the consideration of a, a legitimate judge or by a jury of their peers. And sometimes you have a choice in that. Sometimes you don't as to the format. But, um, you know, other people would say, well, the real threat is undermining the belief that American elections are free, fair and reliable. You know, Americans send people all around the world to monitor elections. So from the Carter Center, the one uh, founded by Jimmy Carter, they'd send them all around the world to monitor elections. It'd be nice if they monitored their own elections. I mean, people in Australia are, I think, stunned and disappointed about the way American elections are conducted, that we would never see them as democratic, perhaps the way that our elections are, with a national an impartial federal elect or Australian electoral commission that runs the elections rather than individual state governments running federal elections in the United States. That, to me, is not democratic. Yeah, I mean, Australia, and I'm not here to say which way works better. Uh, oh, we know Australia better. better. Or, well, of course. But, I mean, if uh, for our uh, for 
our purposes, I think we have two, as you say, very big differences between Australia. Number one, election administration and election lawmaking are not federalized uh, processes. There is at the federal level um, an election uh, assistant, election advisory or election assistance commission, but they can only make recommendations. They can't mandate how uh, things work in the individual states. And in fact, within states, um, cities, towns, counties can also have their own election rules and election schedules. So that is a very, very big difference from Australia. Number two, we don't have mandatory voting in the United States, which I understand that you do. You have an obligation yep. to vote or I presume explain why you couldn't vote, right? There was some, some sort of absentee well, or yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, there are reasons why people can't vote and, and fair enough uh, with that. But I mean, all you're going to do is turn up, get your name marked off, Take the ballot paper, put it in the box. If you don't want to put a number against someone's name, don't. And we do it on paper. You know, that's another thing as well. We don't have these, well, mostly we don't have these machines that people are so, uh, you know, concerned about as well. And that way you can say, <laughs> well, here are the votes. Here are the boxes. They're locked up by an independent commission. Anyway, look, you know, the thing about the United States, Celeste, as we've talked about, I think, many times in the past, the U.S. thinks that everything it does is the best way to do it and will not look at the way that things are done elsewhere in the world, even down to, you know, temperature scales or mileage, you know, kilometres and all that sort of stuff. The rest of the world's moved on to a different system and the Americans stick with the one from the past. Right. I mean, we have we there is something of an American stubbornness. And and look, am, am I personally as an American no. against America thinking it's great? No. I mean, I think America is pretty good. Not I understand, sure. however, to your point that it has serious problems and that goes uh, that includes perhaps, but also goes well beyond not adopting the metric system, which is yeah, of course, bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, yeah. so th those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, I, oh, I think look, America come on, dual flush you know, toilets—that's another one. Well, Australia is <laughs> in some ways younger than the US. Uh, we've got a long, long indigenous history, but white settlements—you uh, know—less than the US. But yeah, there's a whole lot mm -hmm. of things the Americans could learn from the rest of us, but they, as you say, there's a bit of stubbornness there. You know, the interesting thing is I think that university should be free for everybody. Any form of tertiary education should be free, provided by the government. But that's not the case in the US. It's not the case in Australia. In Australia, we have a HEC system, a higher education contribution scheme, and you can go to university, but when you start earning a certain amount of money, that's when you have to start paying back, and it's a sliding scale depending on what courses you do. It's one of the things when people talk about how young people can't afford houses. Well, here's a good reason. It's because they're saddled with you know sometimes $100,000 debts. It's different in the U.S., isn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things are certainly, it's not, you don't have, uh, in general, you don't have a, a guarantee of, of free college. There are programs, there are both, um, uh, you know, localized programs, there are, uh, you know, you can get some sort of uh, well, assistance. Well, hang on, okay. in, in Georgia, isn't You can it have in, a sub subsidization. In the, um, the, the, the great state of Georgia, I think isn't all university, you know, in-state tuition for Georgians, is that not subsidised by the gambling industry there, that all the money raised from gambling goes to pay off people's university fees? 
Yeah, we have we have in in some places we do have a, a lottery system that uh, that funds education, and that could be like public school education, that could be higher education. I, you know, again, we have a serious patchwork. I mean, we have uh, fifty states plus territories, um, very big geographically. The United States population is over something over like 330 million people. It's a big place, or at least seems big to us. It's not as big as like Canada or Russia physically, but we have a lot of people. Um, And it, it has a very long and strong history of sort of state self-determination and state control of a lot of those issues. So when you have things like voting or funding for education or taxation that are not completely federalized, you're going to get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of variation across all those things. So what is Joe Biden doing when he is forgiving debt or cancelling debt for uh, some federal loans? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a program that he had talked about instituting before, but uh, is now actually doing it. And this is something called, uh, I, th- I believe it's called the SAVE program. And it doesn't mean everybody gets free college or everybody who took out a loan ever is not going to have to pay for that. But it's for giving some debt um, to right now, I think something like 150,000 borrowers. Um, and the save plan is basically pegged to people's income. I don't know the exact formula, but if you've already, if you have less left to pay, they consider your income. If you've already been making payments for, uh, I think about 10 years, then you might be eligible for this program. So it is not a blanket forgiveness program, but the general idea is that if people have been steadily paying off this debt, and they've shown that uh, you know they borrowed the money in good faith and are attempting to pay it back. This is sort of a way to relieve this what has become for them a crushing, long term, perhaps lifelong burden of of paying this money back. Um, so again, it's not everybody gets free college or everybody who borrowed money to go to college doesn't have to pay anymore. But it comes out to canceling something like uh, slightly over a billion dollars in, in student loan debt. And um, if, if you think, well, a billion dollars, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a rounding error in the U.S. budget, isn't it, really? That's just a that's nothing when you consider the amount of money being spent. I mean, $75 billion has been sent to Ukraine, or you know, which is you know money well spent, hopefully. But you know that's so a billion dollars. That's that's just a fraction of what's gone to Ukraine. Right. I mean, so you can look at it a couple of ways. You can, you know, if you want to be uh, critical of it, which is totally, totally fair, you could say a, it's not that much money. B, you could also say, what kind of precedent are you setting, or what kind of mentality are you endorsing if you basically notify people that you can make a legal contract to borrow money for a purpose, and then somebody is going to come along with a magic wand and say, ah, you don't, yeah, you don't have to finish paying that. That's fine. You know, we, we think you're a nice person and you should keep your money. Um, You could definitely say that. You could say it's just, yeah, splashy election year, feel good promise. That doesn't really amount to a lot. Well, it amounts Um, to a lot for the people who have their uh, debt forgiven, don't they, or cancelled? 
that's the argument for it, that the individual people who are trying to be part of the economy, or if you want to go further and say trying to be part of the American dream, uh, they want to buy a house, they want to have a family, they want to contribute to the economy by buying material goods like cars or, or yeah. going on vacations or, or contributing, you know, putting their money back into the system that way they can't because everything is sort of preempted or bogged down by having to repay this debt. Now, these people did agree to pay back that money. Yeah. Nobody forced them to borrow the money. Um, there are other options than borrowing money to go to school. There's you know, a lot of questions about whether everybody in the United States really needs a four-year college or even any college. If there are alternatives, mm. uh, technical education, sure. for example, Absolutely. or job-specific training, but yep. you know, definitely you can see both sides of that. But in any event, a group of people, at least a, a small group of people, for now, are not going to have to pay that money back. The rest of the money back uh, in Australia, traditional undergraduate arts degree, which is basically what the uh, U.S. undergraduate degree is. Everyone does a kind of a liberal arts degree. Uh, which is four years, it's three years here. You know, you could do it in two years, I suppose, if you really wanted to get cracking. Um, a couple of text messages for you, Celeste. Okay. Greg says, no, you did not, not you, but you, the US, did not have a peaceful transition of power. A few people died as a result of the storming of the Capitol building. The senators inside said they feared for their life. Uh, in my view, they have a busted economy. I just hope Australia never sees that level of hatred and disunity. Adrian says, I say democracy relies on a collective understanding of a shared or set of shared facts for which free voices make arguments about policy. Fascist or cult-type leaders seek to rule by destroying that understanding. Nothing is true unless Trump says so, and he is a real threat to US democracy, says Adrian. Uh, and Jeff says, until such time as America has serious gun reforms, uh, you can't help but think they are blinkered in many ways. That's just a, what our, uh, your and my listeners are saying tonight, Celeste. And Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest in Boston. Uh, I've never worn high heels, Celeste. Uh, and a lot of women... You're missing out. Really, what am I missing? What is, tell me what is the advantage of wearing high heels. They look so uncomfortable. They are so uncomfortable, as a matter of fact. Um, I used to wear them, actually, in my in my younger years, perhaps, but I basically have stopped and have now defaulted to wearing sneakers whenever and wherever possible. But uh, apparently there was this study recently, and it, it was an iteration or an expansion of a study that was originally done in Australia, as a matter of fact, Fantastic. that tried to figure out if there are benefits to wearing high heels. And uh, what they found in this more recent study is that you, be, you potentially become a more efficient walker if you learn how to walk in high heels. Hmm. Okay. Well, I suppose, I mean, you know, models going up and down catwalks, uh, you know, do they look like efficient walkers to you? I think those people basically go to like walking school, like model catwalk fashion walking school. Um, they're trying to present a certain, uh, a certain, uh, image or whatever, if it's sexiness okay. or if it's power or whatever, but basically like wearing heels in this study at least. And they did like sort of a modified sneaker, actually kind of a wedge sneaker, but, um, sort of alters the way you walk and develops your muscles in a certain way. Um, and 
they okay. found out that people learned how to be more move more Indeed. efficiently, I yes. guess, by being sort of held back by training, quote unquote, in the high heels that when they try to walk again as regular people, um, they had adjusted the way they moved to to use their energy in a different way. So they had the test, then they went away while they were walking on high hills for 14 weeks. Some did, some didn't. They had the control group, obviously. Everyone returned to the lab, repeated the earlier tests. Um, Volunteers who had mostly given up early on wearing high heels showed no changes. Those who wore the heels tended to have shorter calf muscles and stiffer Achilles tendons. And as you say, they had become more efficient using less energy to go the same speed on the treadmill as before, not only in their heels, but also in flats. So there you go. Um, you don't want to walk on grass because you tend to get stuck anyway. Uh, <laughs> finally, well, yeah, I mean, that's a real problem. That's a real problem. Uh, Stephen King, he uh, he's written a lot of books. Most of them been made into movies or TV shows. Salem's Lot, I remember that was in the nineteen seventies, but they did a new movie or a new TV version of that uh, a couple of years ago. And did it ever come out? Yeah, it hasn't. It hasn't come out yet. And uh, you know, uh, we were interested in this because a lot of this, of course, was filmed in Massachusetts, a you know, couple just a couple of years ago, like at a, a bar, at a store, at a church, all these different places. And so um, they made it and it hasn't come out. And now Stephen King, the author, is kind of mad. And he's saying, well, I saw it and it's good. So maybe they should release it. Like, what is the holdup? Well, and maybe it's, it's not very it's, good. It's not clear uh, what the what the holdup is. But the thing was supposed to be coming out, uh, I think, uh, in the fall of 2022 and is, is still nowhere to be found. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it got exposed to sunlight and disintegrated <laughs> or something. I don't, mm. I don't know. It's about vampires. I don't know. Um, by the way, Eddie says podiatrists love high heels. It keeps their practices really busy. Kath, uh, <laughs> I don't know what Kath is talking about. Kath and Janali, she says, by Australian law, if you receive a government payment, you can organise to pay repayments as little as $5 per payment without them sending money hounds to your door as long as you make the payments, as told by a representative of the tax office. I think you might need to pay more than $5 at a time when it comes to repaying your hex debt, your uni debt. But anyway, I'm, I will take Kath's view on that. I'm not uh, familiar with it. I was lucky enough. There was a small window there, Celeste, where when you went to university, you didn't have to pay. And I was one, wow. of, the, I was one of the lucky ones. Yes, anyway. you were. Yes. Oh, my God. And doesn't it show today? <laughs> hey, Celeste, thank you very much. Talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much.